You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. All right, great. Well, when we started this, uh, Wade said, would I be able to teach on this date? And I said, sure. He said, you can just carry on in the Psalms because that's what we're doing. That way you don't have to prepare anything else. And so I said, okay. So he counted forward and later he realized it was Psalm 29. He was mad. He tried to back out of that and get me to do something else because he really likes this Psalm, but too bad. This is, this is my Psalm. All right. Yeah, it's one of his, it's one of his favorites. Like, but he was upset that uh, he would not get to do Psalm 29, but that's, that's the way it happens. Psalm 29, Psalm 29. Let's start. I'm going to read it out loud. And uh, in my Bible, the title is Ascribe to the Lord Glory. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray real quick and then we'll get into this psalm. Lord, thank you for this day, for the weather the beginning of fall for some cooler climate we thank you for the rain the uh the drowsiness even from it but we pray that we'll be alert in here and warmed by what we hear from psalm 29 we pray this in jesus name amen well psalm 29 is a worship psalm like the other psalms we've been looking at Uh, Just to go back to the summary of what a psalm is, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life, and that's what the psalms are about. And then John Piper says, the psalms are songs, they are poems, they are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts our emotions are massively 
important. And so one of the things that we talk about a lot with the Psalms in the Hebrew Bible is that they are they're not meant to convey just information, so you can't just read them doctrinally. They're not just meant to convey descriptions of things. You don't just read them with a with a keen eye for examination. They're not just to express um what we'd say is truth in the logical sense. Uh, at their base reality, a psalm, despite being able to express all of those things, expresses emotion. A psalm, because it is the Word of God, is the God-breathed, Spirit-written emotions that God wishes for His people to feel. When we see a commandment in the Bible that says, do not steal, we take that literally as if we are not to steal. And if somebody were to steal, we would say, you're breaking that commandment, right? That's the way a commandment goes in the Bible. We get to the Psalms and we have commands given to worship, to ascribe honor to the Lord, to behold the splendor of His majesty, and we treat this like it's different, like, well, that's poetic. You know, that's the way we say it's figurative. It's just a, it's a, it's a song. But we need to get into the habit of looking at the emotional language of Scripture, the worship language of the Psalms, and seeing the same type of command when God says, Thou shalt not steal, we need to read, Thou shalt ascribe to the Lord glory, honor, and splendor, and majesty. When we see uh, a psalm calling us out to worship, we see a command. Now, one of the responses that people will give to that is, well, you, you, you know, you can't command emotion. You, you can command emotion. Um, every time a police officer comes up on a scene and says, hands up, he commands or she commands an emotion. Correct? Now, they it helps that there's weaponry and the law involved. But what I'm saying is, that, you know, emotions can move based upon command. We sometimes act like they are a force unto themselves. Well, they just, ha you know, it just happens. I'm in a bad mood. It just happens. Don't try to talk me out of it. It just happens. And we act like emotions are these unresponsive things, but the Scriptures do not treat our emotions that way. And part of discipleship, part of sanctification as a Christian, is bringing your emotions more and more and more under the control of Scripture so that you are not, uh, to quote uh, one of my friend's favorite phrases, so you're not such a hot mess all the time. God doesn't bless hot messness just because it feels good to say that emotions are important and emotions, who knows where they come from sometimes, but scripture treats them as if they are under our command and under God's command. When scripture gives you a command for your emotions to be joyful, we as Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit can be joyful. When scripture gives a command to mourn over something in our lives, we can through the Holy Spirit mourn over those things and when scripture tells us not to fear we can by the power of the holy spirit not be a nervous wreck all the time 
And so just before we read through this psalm, like I said, just uh, just the background of the Psalms is they are the mo- the emotional landscape of the Christian life. And when you see something described, every level of human emotion is described in the Psalms. Anger, fear, sadness, despair, joy, ecstasy, worship. But when you see those emotions commanded, we as Christians should attempt to get our emotions on the level that God is asking us to there. Daniel's amening this, and he's actually like looking at me like, yeah, that's right, you need to be more expressive when you play the bass guitar or do something, because he he can pick on me a little bit about how stoic I can be. And I know that sometimes there are still waters on top and fierce currents underneath. That's the way that I experience emotions. And some of you wear your heart on your sleeve, and that's fine. God made us all different, but our emotions are not, They're not our domain. They're God's domain. He has control of them. He commands them to be a certain way. Well, let's look at Psalm 29, a view of God's glory. Let's think through it. Let's explain it, but let's feel it. All right, we're going to feel it together. So in this Psalm, we see first the glory of God displayed in the heavens. Look with me. In verse 1, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The word heavenly beings there in some of your translations is sons of God. Some of them it might say sons of might. In Hebrew, it's sons of God, uh, bin Elohim. The reason that people... Uh, look for different translations of that as they try to make it mean something uh, more understandable. And I wish I could make this passage understandable, but it's one of those things that happens in a realm beyond the realm that we participate in. When God created the heavens and the earth, Scripture mentions it in one little verse, but encapsulated in that creation is the creation of first the heavens where God lives, the space that he dwells in, because that did not pre-exist God. And then the beings who live in that space we call heaven, which we call angels. Uh, Actually, in a lot of Hebrew commentaries of the Old Testament, they had different levels of angels. You might have heard this before, but the sons of God were seen as some of the highest levels. And then there were the angels and the messengers who went out from what was almost a heavenly council chamber to send the messages that God sent to humanity. So those angels that we encounter throughout Scripture aren't necessarily the angels it's talking about in this passage, if those commentaries are correct, because these angels that it's talking about are those that behold the glory of God in His abode that are worshiping Him, like the book of Revelation says, 24-7. There's not time there, but, you know, we're going to use that expression. They are ceaselessly worshiping Him by day and by night, as it were, and never leave His presence. And in the midst of those angels, the psalmist cries out, Ascribe to the Lord, you sons of God, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. I think it's incredible that we're talking about the words glory and strength 
in the same sentence that we talk about these sons of God. I want I want to don't turn there. I just want you to kind of listen. Because when we talk about angels in scripture, a lot of times we think about the messenger angels. We think about uh, the angels that, you know, great, good tidings of great joy. I bring you great news. And it scares the mess out of the people who hear it. But we think about these angels. But in Revelation 20, there is an angel that comes down from heaven that John sees holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And this angel seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit. The, the angels, if the commentaries are correct, that are ascribing strength and glory to the Lord here, are not the angels that are messengers. They're, they're the big boys. They're the ones that when they come down, they grab the devil by the scruff, put chains around him, and throw him into the pit like it's nothing. They're the bodyguard angels, that, God, even though God needs no bodyguard, as it were, that do the dirty work for the Lord. They would split planets in two with their gaze. They would kick suns out of orbit just for the fun of it. They would scare the goodness out of you, and you would be on the floor. And these are the angels that in the heavenly council ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And as verse 2 says, the glory do His name. In front of those super powerful destroyer-type angels, they are nothing before the Lord. They're created beings. He made them at His own good pleasure. By His words, they exist. And so what He's calling them to do is with their massive planet-melting power is to look back at the Lord sitting in this heavenly realm and say, you're the reason we're strong. You're the reason we're glorious. All of that is just us reflecting it off of you like the moon reflects from the sun. And so that's where Psalm 29 starts. God's glory displayed in the heavens as these super powerful angelic beings worship and give God all the glory and honor for their own unimaginable strength. Second, in verse 2, the splendor of God's holiness is expressed in God's surroundings. It says to worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Some of your translations might say in holy attire. The idea here is that the area that God is in, even though it's not what we would say time or space, where God is is so radiant with His glory flowing out from Him that even in the midst of this, these heavenly beings have to look back at God and just say what splendor and majesty they see on Him. Not just in beauty, but in holiness, in, in His absolute differentness than everything else in creation. They look back at this scene and all they can do is say, this is the most wonderful place and you are the most wonderful being, and everything we have wonderful is just because it came from you. 
and they're just giving their praise and their worship back to God in his heavenly throne room. So that's point one, God's glory displayed in the, in the spiritual heavens. Have y'all ever thought about what the word splendor means? Splendor? Anybody got a good definition or analogy of splendor? Glory? Shining? Yeah, captivating attention. Maybe when you see it, you get chills down your spine. Splendor is one of those things. There's no good way to describe it. You just know when you see it and you know when you don't. It's kind of like the flu. You know, you know, if you think you have the flu, you don't have the flu. If you think you see splendor, you don't see splendor. But when you see splendor, when you see one of those sunsets or one of those moments in the Grand Canyon, or when you see a redwood that big, there's a feeling that you get and you know splendor. Every bit of splendor in the universe is just basically radiating from God. He's the source of it all. Were you to be able to survive seeing him, you'd be overwhelmed at the raw splendor, the awesomeness. The, the, you would feel so shocked you wouldn't have words because that's what happens to the people in Scripture who see him. God's glory in the heavens dazzles even the angels. Well, moving on down the psalm, the psalmist continues from heaven now down to God's glory displayed in creation. That's point two, God's glory displayed in creation. And the way he describes it's going to be a little strange here, but just hang with me for a minute. It says in verse three, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. If you think with me here, where have we heard in Scripture, yeah, someone just said it, this idea of God, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters? It's Genesis 1. A lot of people think of the creation story when they think of this. But there are some commentaries who say this, this is not necessarily talking about that instance, though it might be in view. There's, there's another sense in which this could be talking about the waters and, and what they what they pull back to is the book of Job. Um, you know, to save time, I'll just uh, kind of paraphrase it, but there's a big creature in the book of Job at the end. It's two of them, actually, Behemoth and Leviathan, and one of them lives in the waters. When people study the book of Job, they say it's very similar to some other ancient Babylonian writings at the time. Because remember, Job's not Jewish. He knows the Lord, but he's not Jewish. He lives about the time of Abraham. He's not in covenant with the people of Israel. He, he's like Melchizedek. He's a man who just knows the Lord and serves him. And God reveals himself to him at times. But he doesn't have this book. And what Job draws from through his own worldview is this idea of the waters of the deep being this unconquerable force. And you think about living in the ancient world and seeing storms come off the sea and the sea raging, and you just think no one can control the sea. It's uncontrollable. Nobody can, can tell it what to do. You think of the sea as an untamable 
void where humans cannot, I mean, they can float on it, but that sometimes, but that's about it. You can't farm it. You can't build it. You just hope it lets you go and you get back on land. And this view is that God controls even the raging depths of the sea that spawn storms and have all these creatures in it. And it's just a big dark unknown that God controls all of that. Verse, you can see verse three, his voice is over the waters and he thunders over it. It's this idea that it, it, it doesn't stop God. God does what he wishes even over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. You know, you're starting to see some words get repeated here, aren't you? The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars. He makes le- the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the what, what word do you see said over and over again here? Right. The voice of the Lord, if you look in 2B, it's described in various ways through this passage, all through verse 3 and verse 9. The voice of the Lord is said, guess how many times? Seven times. Now, you'll know if the Bible has a word repeated seven times in a little short poem like this, there's probably a reason for seven, right? Anybody remember what's significant about the word seven? It's a complete perfect number. It's, it's, it's the full number in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew mindset. And they're talking about the voice of the Lord seven times here through this psalm. Each time the voice of the Lord is mentioned, it does something a little different that's supposed to invoke this sense of majesty and splendor in you. So the voice of the Lord is over the waters thundering. The voice of the Lord is powerful. It breaks the cedars. It flashes like lightning. It shakes the wilderness like an earthquake. It makes the deer give birth. And when you see all this, you're supposed to see all the different scenes of nature that you as a human have experienced, all the wonderful things that you've seen. And you're supposed to think at every occasion of that, the voice of the Lord does that. The voice of the Lord does that. The voice of the Lord. When you see, I'm just, I'm thinking here along the lines of some awesome stuff some of you have seen, because I know you've traveled all over the place, but some of y'all have been to Alaska and y'all have seen the great glaciers. And, I know I've seen footage of it. I've never seen them in person, but the glaciers at times will just crack in a size like, I'm exaggerating here, like Rhode Island will fall off of a glacier and just land in the sea. And you're supposed to see that and say the voice of the Lord. Or an avalanche will happen and just flatten a forest and you're supposed to say the voice of the Lord. Or a volcano will go off, the voice of the Lord. You're supposed to see the awesome power of nature. And think of the awesome power of the Lord. Now, why the voice? Why the voice? He spoke everything into creation. That voice of the Lord. And there's there's another thing at play here, I think, that that later in Scripture becomes apparent is the the voice of the Lord, and Jesus said he was what? The Word. There's probably a connection here. When the Bible says 
that through Christ, by Christ, and for Christ, everything was created. God spoke it, and Jesus is the word of the Lord. Jesus is, in many ways, the reverberation of God's voice across our human experience. And a total of, as letter C says here, the psalm lists the voice of the Lord seven times for you to see the significance and the fullness and just worship how powerful His voice is. The angels are worshiping Him for His glory, and creation is just alive to His voice. It's not just a bunch of atoms and sticks and elements attracting each other. It's the voice of the Lord making that whole environment, as Genesis says, teem with life and flourish. Let's move on to point three and final. We saw that God's glory is displayed in the heavens. God's glory is displayed in creation. And last, God's glory is displayed over his people. His people. Look at the end of verse 9 and see if you can see it with me. Ready? And in his temple, all cry glory. It's moved from some deer in the woods giving birth to the temple now. We're through hunting and now we're in church. But you can see that the psalm transitions now. It shows what happens in the heavens. It shows what happens in the earth. And now the psalmist looks at the people of God and says, and what, are they, what do we all say in his temple? And they all answer in unison back, glory. This word glory, kabod in Hebrew, means weight, weightiness, worth. Uh, just a good idea is, has anybody in here ever held a very large piece of gold? Uh, if you have ever seen real gold bullion or a gold brick, it's surprising how much weight is in gold. John Hogan shaking his head. Y'all get him out in the parking lot. I think he's got it on him. But, you know, if, if, if a gold brick has weight to it, there's a glory to that object and a worth and a value that you kind of have to strain holding. It shows you it's worth something by its weight. And the idea behind God's glory is it's so heavy that when he's moving in an area, you're weighed down by it. You can't just skip around out like nothing's happening because God's glory is in there and you're just on your face. So in his temple, all cry glory. The situation changes from nature in verse 9 into the setting of the temple. That's A. And in B, the Lord is described as king in verse 10. Look, the Lord sits enthroned. He's on a throne now. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Once again, that flood language, people think, well, the flood in Genesis with Noah. Like I said, some commentaries say you would think that, but they think the psalmist is drawing back to that idea of the sea being a wild, untamable flood, and just the view that God even controls the chaos in our universe. God controls everything, even the raging sea. He sits enthroned over its raging breakers. And so the psalmist is just pulling us in, showing us God's control. And in verse 11, 
he starts getting to the application. He's going somewhere, and now he's going to give you the antidote that comes from seeing God this way. Verse 11, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Look at C. The preceding verses serve to give blank to the people of God in their lives. Strength. He spent the whole psalm talking about God's strength. And now what are you supposed to get from looking at God that way? Strength. First strength. Peace is next, Jerry. Strength. God is strong. Now you be strong. And then the second couplet there, may the Lord bless his people with peace. God's majesty will give them peace in verse 11. We get at the end of this psalm almost written out like a prescription after, after you sit at the doctor. He hears your symptoms. So I know exactly what you need. What you need is there's this place called heaven and God is filled with glory there. Even the planet destroying angels who are around him, they just they say all we have is because of you. And then he just walks through creation by the power of his voice, making things happen, taking control of the raging sea, making the animals give birth, ripping the trees apart, shaking the earth. And now he's in his temple and, and, and we're worshiping him. We're, we're the ones saying glory at all that. Here's your prescription. You ever feel weak? Be strong because look at what God's voice does. Look at what God's words do. And are you ever scared? Well, don't worry. Have peace. Look who is enthroned over the raging forces of nature and makes them obey his voice like nothing. We think back in the Gospels. The disciples are in the boat. They're afraid. Jesus is asleep. What does he do? He gets up. Does he throw something in the water? Does he mix something into it? What does he say? What does he do? He speaks. The voice of the Lord calms the sea. And he can calm you. That's the emotion you should get from Psalm 29. At the uh, bottom of, uh, well, at the next page, the back of your page, you'll have a little place there where it says ascribe. And all I'm doing with this is I'm just, I'm giving you things that this psalm ascribes or gives to the Lord. Glory, strength, splendor, holiness. They, they talk about his voice seven times. They talk that he sits in throne like a king. And then... What we're supposed to do is like those angels giving God glory back for everything he gave them. We say, Lord, you, you give us strength and you bless us with peace. We give it back to him in the form of praise. That's the purpose of this psalm. That's how you use it as a Christian. You can see that uh, the way that the way that this psalm breaks down now in its three parts, heaven, creation, and his people, the first part is an invitation. We're invited into the throne room of heaven. The second part is motivation. We're motivated to consider how powerful the Lord is. 
And the third part is the outcome. That outcome in our lives should be strength and peace. Are there any questions? Any comments? Yes, ma'am. 2A is the view of the waters, recalls the imagery of Genesis 1, 1 through 3. It's also, by the way, in Psalm 93, 4. You know, you always have more notes than you use in something like this, but Psalm 93, 4 says, Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. He is mighty. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.